0: Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. This is Fram Park Center for Faith and Life with our Out of the Park podcast series. My name is Ilona Kubiaczek-Adler and I'm the director of music here at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church. I am with Bruce Fowkes You might recognize this name from the name of our awe-inspiring organ in the sanctuary, which is called Richards and Fowkes So Bruce Fawkes is one of the organ builders of our wonderful instrument. And I invited him to discuss with me uh, some of the history of the instrument, also te- describing describe some things that are exciting uh, about his profession. And I'm just so thrilled that you're here, Bruce. Well,
1: thank you. It's good to be here.
0: I would like to start with asking you just if you could tell us a few words about yourself.
1: Well, um, so my name is Bruce Fowkes, as you mentioned, and with my business partner, Ralph Richards. Uh, we have a company of, uh, uh, there are 11 of us a total, of uh, some amazing artisans, woodworkers, metalworkers, um, that together we get to uh, build these fun instruments.
0: And where are you from originally?
1: I was raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then uh studied in London and worked in New York and in Oregon and I met my wife in uh Collegedale, Tennessee while I was working there. Collegedale's is uh suburb of Chattanooga, Tennessee, small city about fourteen miles to the east. And uh So that's why we decided to uh, establish our company in Chattanooga. Mm
0: -hmm. So your company now is in Mm -hmm. Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, Well, this is a very, it's probably a a question which might produce a long answer, but what brought you to become an organ builder?
1: (laughs) So uh, when I was a kid, I was taking uh, organ lessons. I must have been about 14 and I wasn't very dedicated, and my teacher tried, to, out of frustration, tried to find something to motivate me, and she knew I wanted to go in to see the pipes inside of the organ. So she uh, made a bargain that if uh, she offered to let me go up and see the pipes in exchange for my commitment to practice more. And so, of course, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And when I went in, here was this marvelous mechanism, you know, just fascinating, all these mechanical devices with pipes standing on top of them. And I stood there looking, trying to figure out what, how this was all working, what was, you know, how the wind was getting from You know, a blower all the way through the pipe. And uh, so afterwards, I uh, knew that my family knew an organ builder that lived in Salt Lake City. And so I went and looked him, they gave me his name, and I looked him up in the phone book and called him, did a cold call, (laughs) and asked him if he would teach me about pipe organs. And... So he had a pipe organ in his home, and I went over there and just totally geeked out and uh it was the most fascinating mechanical thing that I had ever seen, so you've got all these electrical components and mechanical components, bellows blowers, you know uh, uh pipes of different forms and constructions to produce different sounds. And I was just in geek heaven. And it it was like the hook was sunk so completely into the, that little fish. Uh, <laughs> so he told me, you know, uh, this is the first book you need to buy. And I tried to find it at a bookstore. It was a two volume set called The Art of Organ Building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and i had to order it because it was so esoteric mm-hmm. and uh but uh when i got it uh it was written at such a level i had to read everything two or three times to figure it out it was just but it i was i was done for
0: <laughs> so are there schools of organ building
1: there are um there they have tried to establish one in this country for a, for a number of years. But it's been very difficult because we have lost our guild system and, and our unions are not um, strong and they don't ensure that you get a full training. And in Europe, the way they do it, uh, in Germany, they have a formal organ building school, and it's in Ludwigsburg, and when you go there, um, you have to first get a job with an organ builder as an apprentice, which is going to last four years. When you go, uh, you work for, uh, a number of months, and then every, uh, Few months, you every all the apprentices travel together to Ludwigsburg, where they get classes for a month uh, or a week, depending on what part of the training they're in. And there, they get to share the experiences they're having working f- uh, for organ builders. But they'll the apprenticeship makes sure the school makes sure that they learn all facets. Of organ building and some business as well, some business management skills and things that uh you need to know and this is part of the problem um, organ building was a guild trade where you learned on the jobs and the organ builders in the medieval times and all the way up until the eighteenth century you would uh take your families and and move into the church. And they would provide premises where you would build organs right there on site for those churches. And it was only after uh, shipping became more common and there were established roads in Europe that you could build organs in a common place and then ship them out to churches. And somehow this ancient craft and... uh, Trade made it up until the Industrial Revolution, and then it turned into factory organs. Mm. Completely changed the nature of the organ. Um, It changed the way we did things, although there's still a number of hand-produced things that could... In fact, most things, the leather work can only be done by hand. Mm -hmm. And... uh, pipe making is mostly hand produced. So this ancient craft and guild system somehow made it into modern America through a factory system. And now we're trying to keep it alive because the factories have mostly died away. And so we're more art, uh, artisanal shops again. There are some organ factories, but there's only a couple left in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but we're trying to train young people and do it as close as we can. But there's not any. It's it's hard to get a system together, mm-hmm. a school, most particular.
0: So your path to organ building was through apprenticeship,
1: right? That's and so correct.
0: who did you apprentice with?
1: I started with Mike Bigelow in Provo, Utah, when I was in college. And after college, I went to work for uh, Matthew Copley in London. And after I knew the basics, I went back to work for Michael Bigelow for a time, and then went on to work with John Brumbaugh. Uh But a lot of skills and everything after I started my own company, still we're very collegial. It's like a, a lot of us have worked together. Uh, uh, my business partner, Ralph, had a company for nine years in Tacoma with Paul Fritz. It used to be Fritz Richards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we're still very collegial and communicate and share things. And then there's a American Guild of uh, Organ Builders, or sorry, American Institute of Organ Builders. And I'm a member of that organization. And then there's an international uh, uh, society of organ builders. And my company is a member of that. And we get together and talk about uh, projects and ideas and get to share things. And Often, after the lectures are over, you learn more at the bar talking with your colleagues mm-hmm. uh, uh and about uh different projects that you've done mm-hmm. and how you've uh accomplished certain goals and uh you know how did how did I do it by dr Frankenstein <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you build historically informed instruments Uh, this is at least the term that I use but I don't think that people know what it means uh, oftentimes and so maybe if you could help me help uh, our listeners understand what a historically informed instrument is would be great
1: to make it as easy as I can organs developed different techniques or not just techniques uh, different schools of organ building each country uh, had their own Europe. school, of, yeah, their own mm-hmm. style of organ building, and it was based around the religious practices of each country. Mm-hmm. So the Catholic countries, Italy, Spain, and uh, the Southern European countries, their organs tended to be uh, one manual instruments, and they evolved in such a way that even when they were large instruments, It was still primarily for leading uh, a choir of uh, uh, priests and monks and a collegium of uh, students, but all-male voices. And they didn't ever change. It just, right up almost to the present time, uh, they still have these characteristics. However, in other countries... The organs, because of the Protestant Reformation primarily, changed radically. And especially in the northern countries, where they were getting away from choirs of and an Catholic liturgy, uh, because of Martin Luther and Zwingli and other reformers that wanted to have the congregation take over the singing of, uh, hymnody and psalmody and uh, Calvin took a different route but eventually Calvin's psalms uh, are completely through the Reformed Church uh, it took it to a, a very high level of psalm singing and uh, but it was all for the people and so these organs developed to accompany and lead congregational singing in very lusty Hardy song, which was not a part of the Catholic tradition, and there's other things that happen in Spain and 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 France, but let's say the most uh, obvious might be France uh, developed these very imperial uh, reeds, and these commanding, dominant reeds were to, designed to fill these big, resonant churches, and it was to basically say that the church was a part of the state it was you know the power of god the imperial majesty you know was part of the mass it was to inspire awe you know that heavens come down to earth you know it was a very different kind of sound than any of the other countries and all these countries have these different traditions from very modest to very outrageous. Mm -hmm. But the German countries, because of the Lutheranism and uh, hymn singing in the congregations, probably developed the most complete and uh, their instruments were far ahead. They had... Uh, many different types of they tried different sounds to copy the orchestra and uh, this is before a modern orchestra existed by the way mm-hmm. what they would call them was bands mm-hmm. but you know when the, before the oboe existed uh, and before modern trumpets existed they were building trumpets and organs and uh, posaunas meaning trombones and uh of decachas mm-hmm. and uh orchestral style strings uh copying viol de gambas before all these different musical instruments many of which are gone now Sackbutts and dulcians and mm-hmm. uh, Musettes, musets they're, they're uh, they have been revived in the last century and some of it is because of uh, the early music uh, movement that's come that uh, people have been interested in. What did these bands sound like? And so some of these instruments have been revived in pipe organs as well. And so that's the historic movement is to realize that during the factory organ uh, days, organs got very homogenized sounding and they uh everything was just combined into uh a kind of uh soup you know with beans and lentils and uh you know tomatoes and everything got thrown into the into the recipe and early in the last century people were saying you know but what about these inst- these instruments? What did they sound like and why, you know, it would be really interesting to be able to hear music played on an instrument for which the composers might have recognized and they might have heard that instrument or heard their music played uh, on those. And so a whole uh, school of organ building came about dedicated to reviving these germanic and dutch instruments that the you know calvinists and the lutherans uh, might have heard their music on originally and with it it revived hymnody they're really great at leading congregational singing
0: so what is the ex- what is precisely the style that you're imitating on the instruments that we have here at Pinnacle your Opus 14
1: So with Pinnacle one of the things that uh the person that brought us into this project uh was Robert Clark who was well Dr. Robert Clark who was the organ professor at uh Tempe at the university and he had retired and was the organist working as the organist uh, here at Pinnacle. And he wanted, he had this vision for this new sanctuary, which had yet to be built, that he wanted to bring in a central German-style instrument because of their flexibility. And they have all these different colors. And he had this vision of doing all kinds of music here, and doing it with great intention, you know great gusto, great uh, he just really was a champion of singing, and he wanted this place to be a center, like a light on a or what is it a candle on a hill or and he wanted this to be that shining place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was his goal.
0: Which leads us a little bit, this is a perfect segue to the story of this particular instrument, uh, because of course it originated with Robert Clark. But how? what is the story behind that? How did it happen that Robert Clark decided that you are the company that you would like to work with?
1: Well, we went back a little ways. Um, when I was doing my apprenticeship at Michael Bigelow's, uh, Robert was trying to lead a congregation in Mesa. Uh, the I lost the name of the church.
0: Oh, Victory Victory Lutheran. Victory Lutheran.
1: Mm-hmm. He was their consultant to help them find a new organ, and so he was interviewing organ builders around the country. And he came through the uh, Bigelow workshop, and he introduced himself to me and uh, all the other employees of. Bigelow's and we knew each other and so Victory got a Bigelow pipe organ and after we had started our company in Chattanooga he told one of his students in Knoxville who uh, was the music director at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Knoxville that he should look at our company to build an organ there Mm. and so we were commissioned to build that organ and Peter asked Robert Clark to play the dedication and for his encore uh people wanted an encore, and he said, "I haven't prepared an encore, but he said, "I will lead you in a psalm if you would like to sing." so he suggested they sing old psalm one psalm old one twenty fourth and So by the end of it, he had the uh, whole uh, organ going and the congregation just singing their hearts out and it just ripped the roof off the place. It was pretty amazing. And he called me two weeks later and he said, I have been thinking about that and I just can't get it out of my mind. And he said, I'm afraid if I don't buy an organ from you guys, I'll never be able to accompany psalms like that ever again. And he said, would you guys come out and make a presentation? And two months later, uh, Larry Corbett signed the contract. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's wonderful. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.